for about a year and a half, I was helping out a church here in Northwest Indiana. It was every every month, once a month, I would go to this church to preach because they had a pastor who was in their eighty, who was in his eighties. So I would just go in to give him a day off, give him a break every once in a while, you know, and. It was fine. They were actually a very old-fashioned style church. Their hymnal predated Bill Gaither, for an example. But the one thing that I really had to learn was that his grandson ran around the auditorium the entire time. The entire service, he would just run up and down the aisle, run up and down the pews. And no one, including his grandfather and grandmother, the pastors of the church, did anything about it. Welcome to My Seminary Life. I'm your host, Brandon Knight. And hey, happy 60th episode to you. It is the 60th episode of My Seminary Life. We are closing in slowly but surely on the much-desired 100th episode. And no, I have no plans yet. Anyway, We're in a class right now called Communication in Ministry, and for today's episode, you get to listen to the sermon that I had to preach for this class. So let me give you the setup here. We were all assigned a passage from Romans. I was given Romans 8, verses 31 through 39, which is a super encouraging passage of Scripture, let me tell you. We had to do a big exegetical study of it, and then we had to write. This is what I had to do Sunday night. This was Sunday night at my house. I invited a small group of people over for a Sunday evening home church service. I preached and recorded the sermon on my laptop and an audio version for the podcast. Had a small group of, I think it was six people. They all had to fill out evaluation forms of my sermon. I had to turn in the video link for the service uh, of just me, just me preaching, and also a verbatim manuscript of everything that I said. Hopefully I did that part right. And then I had to do a self-assessment and write a two-page paper on myself. So a lot got turned in this week, but this is the Final part of this class on preaching. Next week, we're going to move into Bible lesson writing. A little bit different. That should be fun. But for now, you get to enjoy my sermon on Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. Enjoy. As you turn over there, I would like to uh, take a moment to talk a little bit about love. A lot of us have been in love before, have those feelings of romance and bliss and excitement as we fall head over heels for someone. But many people have also experienced the feeling of falling out of love with someone. Many of us have experienced what it is like to, after a time of being with someone, to start to lose that excitement, lose that romance, lose that bliss. People change, environments change, and over time we lose the desire to be with that person. I fell out of love once. I was in a relationship for about three, maybe four years, three or four years. It was 
a pretty serious relationship. We were going steady. Things were great. We were having a good time together. But slowly over time, things just started changing. The environment started changing. They started changing a lot. And before you know it, I had fallen completely out of love with the show Doctor Who. I loved that show so much. It was my favorite show for so long. And then the, the writing just took this major downward turn. And I just, I just longed for the good old simple days of when the Doctor and Rose were out together doing things. And whether you're, you've fallen out of love with an actual person or a hobby or a show, in my case... We all have had some form of experience of when the, those feelings of love have gone away. It just seems to be a part of what it means to be human, that in time we lose this desire to be in love with each other or to be in love with someone else or to have a passion for a hobby. I think for us as Christians, this gives us a question that we have to ask ourselves, a question that we need to wrestle with at times of, does God fall out of love with us? Is falling in and out of love, is this just something that it is to be human or is God susceptible to this type of thing as well? Does God fall out of love with us? Because when you look at the relationship that we have with God, if you think about it for a moment, it is a bit of a one-sided relationship. When you think about everything that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit has done for us, and then what we bring to the relationship, it's kind of one-sided. It seems one-sided. Does God up in heaven sit there and look down at us and see one of us and thinks to himself, you know, the writing for that person's life has really taken a downward turn. I think, I think I'm over that person. Thankfully, God has given us an answer in this word. Because if God does fall out of love with his people, that should be very concerning to us. But if he doesn't, that should give us reason to rejoice. And like I said, God has given us an answer in his word through the Apostle Paul in his epistle to the church in Rome. And that takes us to our passage of scripture here. Again, it's Romans 8, 31 through 39. Hopefully you're at that point now. I would summarize everything that Paul has to say here. We're going to get into it verse by verse, but I would summarize what Paul has to say here down to this. There are no limits to God's love for us. Let me say that again. If you're a note taker, you're going to want to jot this down. There are no limits to God's love for us. There are no limits. And what we're going to see here in this passage as we work verse by verse is that there are three reasons why there are no limits to God's love for us. And the first reason that there are no limits for God's love for us is because the Father freely gives us love. The Father freely gives us love. 
And one last thing before we get into the text, I did want to say quickly that my hope as we get to the end of this sermon is that when we get to the end, you will be convinced to underline the word no in that sentence. And hopefully you'll see why by the end of this sermon. But again, the first reason why there are no limits to God's love for us is because the Father freely gives us his love. Paul opens this section in verse 31 with the first of seven questions. Now, we're not going to have seven points. We have three. But Paul moves through this passage asking seven questions. And the first one up is, what shall we say to these things? Now, typically for us as good Bible students, students of the word, that usually means that we should take a glance up to what Paul just got done saying in the previous section, whether it's verse 27 through 30. But maybe it's many commentators would actually say that Paul's not just referring to the immediate previous context, but that he's actually referring to everything that he has said in the epistle so far, up into chapter 8, verse 31. And I would summarize it like this. We don't have time to get into all of the nuance Romans is a very rich, hearty book after all, but I would summarize it to this. Paul has been dissecting what the gospel is to the Jews first and then also to the Gentiles in the church. That there are none who are righteous, that salvation is by faith through the finished work of Jesus Christ, and that now we are slaves to righteousness. That is a simple summary of everything Paul has been talking about. And he comes to this point saying, what shall we say to this? And he answers that question with another question. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, he's not trying to say that the followers of Jesus, the followers of God, don't have any enemies. That's not what he's saying. And we're going to talk more about that here in a moment. But what he is saying is that those enemies cannot get in the way of God's love for his people. Why? Why is that? Well, in verse 32, he says that he did not spare, that is the father did not spare his own son, and then it moves into our third question in this passage. How much more so will he graciously give us all things? Other translations use the word freely instead of graciously. How will he not freely give us all things if he did not spare his own son for us? That word spare in the Greek is also used in the Septuagint, which is the fancy word for the Greek translation of the Old Testament, you can find that same word in Genesis twenty-two twelve, And for context, that is when God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And the text says there in verse 12 that Abraham did not withhold Isaac. And that word withhold is the same as here where Paul writes that God did not spare his own son. So what we see here is that the Father freely gives us his love because he did not withhold his own son from us. If he's willing to do that, 
what more will the Father be willing to do for us? Once upon a time, I was a young and dumb teenager who was completely oblivious to everything. You remember being a teenager. And my family was on vacation to Disney World. It was Florida in the summertime, and so it was so uncomfortably hot. And I don't remember what was going on, but we were at Magic Kingdom, and for some reason, my dad and I are just standing around. We're not in line for anything. We're just standing around. I don't remember why. And my grandfather walks up to us holding a cup of water, and he says to me, you know, if you just go up to any of these food service counters and ask for a cup of water, they'll just give it to you for free. And I, being a teenager, did not believe him. And so I marched my way right over to one of those counters and I very sheepishly asked for a cup of water. And the guy behind the counter, you know, he gets the cup, puts the ice in, fills it with water, and he hands it to me. And when I take it, I go to like reach for my wallet, like very obviously. And he, he puts up his hands and says, oh no, no, it's free of charge. As if he, he was acting as if he had just given me like this really nice glass of ex expensive champagne on the house. It was just a glass of water. So he gives me this glass of water. And that was the day that I learned that in most places around the world, or at least here in our country, in most places in our country, you can get water for free anywhere. I was living in ignorant bliss of that until this point. But in that moment, receiving that cup of water, not having to pay for it, one of the few things you don't actually have to pay for at Disney World. At that moment, I truly believed that Mickey Mouse was not withholding the precious, refreshing water that I needed, but was freely giving it to me. And admittedly, that is very cheesy, and I know that, but hopefully that helps you see how the Father freely gives us his love. He's not expecting anything from us. This is a no-strings-attached type of situation. And this is something that we truly need to believe. Because there are many people who are trying to get right with God by what they do. They're trying to do good things to get in his good gracious. And there are many Christians who are trying to earn God's love, stay in his favor, stay this, God, please like me. I know I sinned again. I am going to do these things to keep you happy. Brothers and sisters, that's not how this works. There's these many Christians, they, they serve in their church or they put on all these extra restrictions on themselves in order to try to get God to like them more, I've done it myself. I have felt this oppression of trying to get God to like me more. God loves you and the Father freely gives you his love. We need to live in the reality of that freedom that we don't have to earn God's love. There are no limits to God's love for us. The first reason we saw there is because the Father freely gives us his love. The second reason is because of the work that Jesus has and is doing. There are no limits to God's love for us because of the work that Jesus has and is doing. 
We move now into verses 33 and 34, where we have our next two questions. For those of you keeping score at home, that would be question four and five. Both of these questions are legal questions. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect and also who is to condemn? These are both legal questions. These are questions that you would hear in a courtroom setting. And this word charge is a legal term that does imply that that person is guilty. This is a heavy legal term. This, what this means is that this isn't someone just throwing wild accusations out there, like someone is accusing me of killing John F. Kennedy. This is Satan's legal defense team coming before God, presenting the evidence, presenting the facts, and saying, Brandon has committed adultery in his heart time and time again. Brandon has lied repeatedly. Brandon has hated people. All things that I am guilty of. But it says here that no matter the condemnation, no matter the charges brought against God's elect, God says that that person is justified. Why does God declare that his people are not guilty? It's because of the work that Jesus has and is doing. Now, this is, this is significant. This is important. Because for many Christians, their understanding of what God has, what Jesus has done for them stops at Easter. They know that Jesus died to pay the penalty for their sins. They know that Jesus resurrected, came back to life to overcome sin and death. But more so, Jesus ascended to the Father, to the right hand of the Father, to what would be symbolically meaning that he is in the highest place of authority right now. And he is interceding on behalf of the believers to the Father to keep them in his love. The work of Jesus that he has and is currently doing. And it's because of this that we are kept in his love. Paul wrote earlier in verse 26 and 27, we didn't read it this evening, that the Holy Spirit is interceding for the believers as well to the, fa to the Father. Now that's not a typo and Paul didn't change his mind just a couple verses later. What that means for us as believers is that there is a double intercession going on on our behalf to keep us in the love of the Father, both in the work of Jesus and also in the work of the Holy Spirit. There are no limits to God's love for us because of the work that Jesus has and is doing. We need the whole story, everything that Jesus is, has and is doing for us, for that to be true. This would be similar to if you only ever watched half a movie all of the time. And that's all you ever knew of that movie. I can remember when I was a kid and I watched Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring for the first time. And it got to the end and they didn't destroy the ring. And I was really confused because I thought every book and every movie 
had a different ring that they were going to destroy. I somehow missed the part that's really obvious at the beginning where they say, one ring to rule them all. And I had to have someone explain to me that the Lord of the Rings is a continuing story throughout three books and three movies. This would be like if you stopped watching Empire Strikes Back halfway through. You're going to miss some pretty vital information. If you only ever watched half a movie, then Belle is, never got out of the beast's cell and fell in love with him. And Ariel never got her voice back and fell in love with Prince Eric. Is that Eric? That's Eric. For all you know, for all you half-movie watchers out there, for all you know, Shrek never married Fiona, the Titanic never sank, and the Curse of the Black Pearl never got lifted. That's what happens when you don't have the whole story. And similar, similarly for us as Christians, we need the whole story. The work of Jesus did not stop 2,000 years ago at Easter. It is a present reality now as he is interceding for us right now, at this time. And for us as believers, having this fourfold understanding of the importance of the death, resurrection, ascension, and intercession of Jesus for us, this should motivate us to have a living and active faith, just as Jesus is currently living and active on our behalf. Jesus didn't rise from the grave, step out of the tomb, dust off his hands and say, see y'all in 2,000 years. See y'all later. I'm done here. Don't forget to tip your waitress. We're good. No, Jesus is currently working on our behalf. And there's many Christians who their faith is always in first gear. They prayed the prayer. They did the thing. And now they're just waiting to go to heaven. Our faith is to be living and active. And we can only do that in part when we realize that our faith in Jesus, he is living and active as well. There are no limits to God's love for us. First reason is because the Father freely gives us his love. The second reason is because of the work that Jesus has and is doing. The third and final reason is because there is nothing powerful enough to block his love from us. There is nothing powerful enough to block his love from us. That's why there are no limits to his love. And this can be found in the final section here, the rest of our section here, this evening. Paul moves now into his final questions. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Who shall separate us? And then the final question, he lists seven things, seven visible factors that could affect us. Seven deadly, dangerous things that you would assume would mean that we are out of God's love. He starts with tribulations, which is this idea of just general bad things happening to us. And he, moves, he moves all the way to the sword. This is in ascending order again. And we move to the sword implying death. 
Shall these things keep us from the love of God, Paul says. And then he quotes Psalm 44, verse 22, showing that throughout the entire history of people following after God, people who have followed Yahweh, death has been a common theme. That for generation after generation, people have been killed for following God. And this is still a present reality for the church today. So Paul is painting a very bleak picture. It looks like there is no hope. Shall these things keep us from the love of God? And we get to verse 37 when he answers the question from 35. And it is an emphatic no. And it's because we are more than conquerors. I don't spend a lot of time, admittedly, with the original languages. Original languages are hard. But sometimes I find something and I get really interested in it. This phrase, more than conquerors, is one word, hypernikomen. You don't know how to say it either, so hypernikomen. And it's a fascinating word because this is the only time in the New Testament that it is used. And oftentimes in, our, in the translations, it is translated as more than conquerors. But there are so many different ways that people has translated this. Super conquerors. Constantly victorious. John Wesley calls it abundant gainers. Just all these different terms that give this mental image. That when it comes to these very visible, physical, legitimate factors that we would think could get in our way of getting to God's love, the picture is this, annihilation. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that can stand in the way of us and God's love. Paul closes out this section of Scripture in verses 38 and 39. He has moved from visible factors that could affect our walk or receiving the love of God, and he moves to invisible factors. He actually picks up the thread because he just talked about sword, and he starts this section off with death. He talks about death. He talks about angels and demons. He talks about, in verse 39, the height of life and the depth, the lowest moments of life. And he cuts the list short, and rather than continue to ramble on and on about everything created and visible and invisible, he cuts it off by saying anything in all of creation. Anything at all cannot stand in the way of God's love to the believer. And it's worth noting that anything in all creation includes two things. And we talked about them briefly. The first one is Satan. Satan, in all of his work, cannot keep you from the love of God. And the second is you. You cannot keep yourself from God's love. No matter what you do, as a believer, you are constantly in God's love. There are no limits. When I was in middle school, we played two-hand touch football almost every day. Every day. We were out there throwing the football around. And playing two-hand touch, you know, being a running back wasn't really, you know, it doesn't really work that well when all you have to do is just tap someone. 
And I've got small hands, and despite my dad's best, best efforts, I'm not a good quarterback. He, he tried. I'm not a good quarterback. But I did have a very niche skill. When they kicked off the ball, if I could get it, I could score a touchdown. No matter who was coming at me, I could outrun and outmaneuver everybody on the field, which is pretty good when you just have to tap somebody with two hands instead of full-blown tackle them. I could outmaneuver everybody out there. The only thing that could keep me from scoring a touchdown was them kicking the ball completely opposite of wherever I was. And it's not a perfect illustration, but I have vivid memories of running down that field with my friends coming at me to try and stop me and me doing everything I could to get around them to get to where I was trying to go, to score that touchdown for my team. And similarly, really more so than that, God's love gets down the field to us. Really, there's not even anyone charging at God's love. God's love annihilates everything in his path to get to us. And for us as believers, that should be cause for rejoicing that truly created anything in creation cannot stand in between us. That should give us a reason to celebrate every day. There are no limits to God's love for us. The Father freely gives us his love because of the work that Jesus has and is doing. And because there is nothing powerful enough to block that love. Hopefully by, that, by this point you have underlined that word now. And you have felt that conviction. That there is nothing that can get between us and God's love. We live in a world of uncertainty. Cars break down without warning. Appliances break People fall out of love. It should be so comforting for us as believers that in a world of uncertainty, in uncertainty, we can be certain that God's love is still there for us. Does God fall out of love with us? Like Paul, we can emphatically say no. God does not fall out of love with us. He is always there for us. And as a church, as a body of believers, if we stop trying to earn God's love, if we have a faith that is living and active, and if we take time every day to rejoice and praise God for that love that will always annihilate everything in its path to get to us, then I think we will see a world turned upside down for him. Let's pray. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I forgot to mention up at the top of the episode that if you were curious to know more about the outline that I used or some of my inspiration for the way that I do present myself, 
in the pulpit, then definitely check out the last two episodes, the nuts and bolts of preaching, where I talk about outlines, specifically the outline that they are encouraging us to use in this class, and then how to use your words good when preaching, which is all about the importance of presentation skills when you preach. Those are the last two episodes in the lineup, so go back and check those out. Like I said, coming up on the show, we're going to move things over now to talking about what it is to, or how it is to write a Bible study lesson, how they differ from preaching. So we'll be looking forward to that in a couple weeks. You'll get to listen to the Bible study lesson that I had to teach. So that'll be good. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to rate and review the show wherever you're listening to it. Or head on over to our Facebook page where you can write a recommendation. You could do that as well. More importantly than that, though, seeing how this is a sermon all about how there are no limits to God's love for us. If you know a really discouraged brother or sister in Christ that you think needs this reminder right now, by all means, I would much rather you send this episode over towards them, not even to get more downloads, but truly so that way they can be encouraged, be strengthened at this reminder. Uh, send it their way and let them know about the show. And as always, you can head down into the description of today's episode to find links to the website, links to the shop. As always, you can find the show on Facebook and Instagram at My Seminary Life Pod, and you can find me on TikTok at just.brandon.k. If you ever want to get in contact with the show, let me know what you think of this sermon. Got any feedbacks? Do you need a traveling preacher to come cover your pulpit? Let me know. You can head on over to email seminarylife at gmail.com. Drop me a line over there. And I think that's it for today's episode. Thank you again for checking this one out. We'll be back for a regularly scheduled episode, episode 61, next week. But until then, keep on studying. Thank mm-hmm. you.